0: Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We
1: behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ, it shows us soon.
0: As Christians, we engage in communion to remember the new covenant and what Jesus accomplished for us. When we take the bread in the cup, we are reminded of our relationship with Jesus and how we are now reconciled and made one with God. part two of Cheryl's message titled The New Covenant.
1: This is the covenant
0: that Jesus is establishing
1: at this last supper, this Passover, and he institutes it with his body and his blood. They are to ingest it. They are to take it in, and they ingest it by faith. This is my body, Jesus says in verse 19, which is given for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood, which is shed for you, verse 20, instituted like the first Passover. It is to be done again and again and again in remembrance of what Jesus has done. Lest we ever think it's about what we've done lest we ever think that we also need the law or an addition. You see, the Passover was celebrated only once a year to bring the people back in remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt. But this, this new covenant, which we call communion, why do we call it communion? Because it's about relationship. It's about bringing us into oneness with God through Jesus Christ. It's about reconciliation. It's about fellowship. When I commune with someone, I'm going on a deeper level. There are times I talk to Brian. In fact, he says I, I talk to him all the time. But then there are times that we commune. And when we commune, it's when Brian and I go to a deeper level. When we have the same thoughts, when we have the same feelings, the other day we were driving together, Brian was driving, and I looked over and there was a lady and she had this, she had white hair and it was in this bun that just stuck on top and her her lower mouth, it just, it went out, her lower lip was in this kind of determined pout. And she had her hands on the wheel, 10 and 12, and she was, or 10 and whatever, and uh, 10 and two. And she was like, her her head was thrust forward. And I looked over and I thought, she looks like a cartoon character. That I've seen, in you know, on a Saturday morning in my youth. And Brian looks over and he goes, she looks like a cartoon character. And you know, at that moment, I knew we were communing. <laughs> we were having the same thought at the same time and seeing the same thing. And interpreting it the same way. There was a oneness. And I was like... I thought the same thing. And then we had another one like two minutes later. We're like, oh, it was like, I don't know why, but we got really excited. Like, we're so married. This is so exciting. But there's that communing that goes deeper. You know what it is. You, you know what it's like to go out with your friends and ha- have a talk. But then you know what it is to go out and commune. When heart means, meets heart, there's something deeper So we call it communion because heart means heart. And the blood of Jesus pours over our heart and begins to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we take in his body and his brokenness for us that we might live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what happens and so we call it communion. But it's that new covenant that we begin to appropriate for ourselves what Jesus has done. And there's no specific day. There's no specific time. Because it's meant to be a continually, a continual reminder, a daily reminder that it's Jesus alone who has done these great, marvelous, stupendous compassionate glorious things for us now while jesus is speaking about the depths why he's even establishing and instituting this new covenant with the disciples he tells them even though there's 12 that's partaking of them one is doing it insincerely for one it will mean nothing because that one will turn and betray him Because he's allowed Satan to enter into his heart and his mind and his thinking, as we talked about earlier. But as the disciples hear this, they begin to interrogate each other over who would do such a thing. And this turns into an argument over which of them should be considered the greatest. Can you imagine? Oh, how faulted the nature of mankind is. You at the most serious moments, if you think about it, sometimes we are singing about the blood of Jesus, about the glory of the cross, and we are thinking, I need to clean my kitchen sink. We're thinking we're so not there. Or we're thinking, I don't like the way that couple in front of me is acting during worship. I wish she'd quit playing with her hair. It's driving me crazy. You know what I'm saying? We are thinking we're superior to somebody else. We're thinking we're better than, even while we're talking about the cross of Christ. This is our nature. I'm not alone in this. You've done this. You've been thinking about Jesus and then had a car pull in front of you and done. Or maybe you did. I don't know what you did, but I know you've done it. I know you've done it for two reasons. You're a woman and you drive the roads. And Jesus has to correct correct their thinking. He says, you know what? This is how you are right now. But when the new covenant takes effect, this is not how it's going to be. Under the terms of the new covenant, just as you were following my directives and you found it just as I said, even as you're going to ingest my work for you, you are going to serve one another. I'm among you as one that serves. You're not going to be like the Gentiles. You're going to be distinct. Right now, there's no distinction between the disciples and the Gentiles. Lording over each other, the competition There's no difference. They're acting like those Gentiles that lord over each other. But once this covenant is instituted, once the Lord begins to work in them, the new nature will take effect. And the greatest will be like the younger and those who govern like those who serve. When you get to the book of Acts, you don't see the disciples competing with each other, comparing themselves to each other. You see them working together Not to build their own kingdom, but to build the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul rebukes the Corinthians because they're saying, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. He says, no, we've never died for you. Maybe some of you were baptized, but we're just the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about building the kingdom of Jesus. He talks about how some men have been building on the kingdom of Jesus, and they've been building their own kingdoms. And those were like wood, hay, and straw. But those who were building the kingdom of God, they had to use the imperishable word of God, the truth. It's about building the kingdom of God. That's what will happen under the new covenant. Then he speaks of the rewards of the new covenant. These undeserving disciples will be given a kingdom just as God bestowed a kingdom to Jesus. They'll be part of the the glorious kingdom and in God's kingdom. They'll have a place. They'll participate. They will eat and drink at his table. They will sit on thrones and they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. These undeserving disciples These argumentative, these competitive, these humans will be glorified. Only Jesus has the authority to bestow such honor in his kingdom. No man has the right to bestow a kingdom to another man. No man. But Jesus has the right. Jesus has the right. Jesus then intercedes for his disciples in verses 31 through 53. He explains to Peter the spiritual and personal failure that Peter will experience. Satan has asked for Peter by name. How enormously frightened mean is this prospect? Can you imagine? I mean, I read the book of Job and I'm like, Lord, never, please never brag about me in front of the devil. Never say, hey, have you seen Cheryl, my servant? (laughs) Is she doing great? Please don't do that. But I think about Satan had seen Peter and he said, I see his weaknesses. I can take this guy down so easily. And he asked for Peter by name, the cruelest, most diabolical, most destructive force and person ever. The power behind every despot and wicked criminal. In fact, in Psalms, it says, even the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Specifically, asked for Peter. His name knew him, knew his nature, knew his habits, knew his failings. And as we know, the devil has schemes and wiles. And Peter would later talk about how Satan goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he could devour. Peter knew it personally. Satan had spotted him, asked for him by name, said, let me sift him like chaff. Let me have this one. Satan had influenced him in the past. Satan had had this this inroad to Peter when peter said to jesus let it be far from you when jesus had talked about the crucifixion now the crucifixion is a, is about to happen and only one thing stands between peter and utter destruction and that's the intercession of jesus christ jesus here prays for peter And Jesus knows exactly what Peter needs. We're told in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit knows exactly what we need. Exactly. And so he makes intercession with groaning before God's throne, knowing exactly what we need. The Holy Spirit can look at the situation. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what we need. And he looks at Peter and he knows exactly what Peter needs. Exactly what we need. What do we need to prevail? What do we need to make it through to persevere through the hardest time of life? We need faith. And this is what Peter didn't need, faith in Peter. Peter would fail. You see, right then, Peter looks at Jesus and says, you know, what do you mean? I'm ready to to follow you to death. You see, Peter has faith in Peter. Faith that he can make it through. Faith that he can stand. I love you this much. I'm so strong. I'm so compassionate. I'm so zealous for you, Jesus. You could trust me, Jesus. I'll stand for you. And Jesus says this to Peter. He says, when you repent, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned and when you have repented, strengthen your brethren. Jesus his his prayers work what he prays happens it's actualized peter was given faith even through the most tremendous trying time of his life even when he failed himself it was faith in jesus that brought him through and he did indeed return to jesus in John chapter 21, we're, we're told that Jesus sat down with Peter and he restored Peter personally. And what do we see in the book of Acts? We see Peter strengthening the brethren over and over again. And when you read 1 Peter and when you read 2 Peter, you know what you are? You are strengthened. You are strengthened to go through trials and fires and hardship. And he even says, during the hardest place when you are suffering for Christ, the spirit of grace and glory will rest upon you. You will feel his presence. Peter knew it firsthand. Jesus said, there's hope in your future. There's hope. You're going to deny that you even knew me three times. This is no surprise from Jesus. You know how we're always like, Lord, I'm sorry I felt you. I know you thought I wasn't going to. We always think that, you know, you're so disappointed in me right now, Lord. I know you must be so disappointed. You know, I used to have a look that I got really convicted over that I used to give my kids. It was just like the, so disappointed in you. You know, Jesus never gives us that look. Like, oh, because he knows the frailty of our humanity. He knows how much we need what he's done for us. His expectation is what he's done for us. And it's only as we ingest it, only as we take it in, Jesus has prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus' word and work. To put Peter's faith not in the injustice of men, not in the power of Satan. You know, sometimes that's where our faith is. We believe that men... And their lies and their slander and their evil is gonna prevail. And we have more faith in the evil of men than in the victory of Jesus. Not in the power of Satan. Sometimes we have more faith in the power of saying, Well, he's gonna take me down, than in the power of Jesus Christ to bring us through. Not in his own strength. Sometimes we have more faith in our strength than we do in Jesus' strength. Lord. I don't expect you to do this for me because you're kind of busy, you know, keeping Pluto, deciding whether it's a planet or not. I'll take care of this one. Our faith is in the word and work of Jesus. Peter had faith in Peter. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But Jesus prepares Peter for his own failure. Jesus would not be surprised, not even dismayed at Peter's failure. Jesus' note was coming and he was preparing Peter for his own failure that only faith in Jesus, not faith in Peter, would get him through this. We have too much faith in our own humanity. We have too much faith in ourselves. And that's gonna lead us to a fall. But faith in Jesus allows us to say, oh, there goes Cheryl again. (laughs) I'm so glad it's all about Jesus. So glad it's based on Jesus. Jesus then prepared the disciples He reminds them of the divine provision they received under his commission. 35, remember when you were obeying me and doing what I said, you lacked nothing. Now he recommends that they be fully prepared for the harsh time that is coming. Money bag, sack, sword, garment. Because right now is coming a time where they would be absent from Jesus. Three days where they would hide, where they would need to be on guard. Three days where they would lack, where they would feel the incredible deficit, the deficit of their own failure, the deficit of their gaping need for salvation, the deficit of the presence of Jesus. They would feel it for three days, the agony of life without Jesus. The disciples at this point do not understand the implication or the hour that is about to come to try them. And they will fall back into what they knew before they ever met Jesus. So they volunteer their swords because they don't understand. At the moment when they should be understanding, when they should be grasping the depths of what Jesus is about to do, they are clueless. Jesus now prepares himself for the hour that is coming, and he leads the disciples to Gethsemane, the place that he often went to while he was in Jerusalem, and he goes there to pray in a grove of olive trees. And some of the olive trees that are in Gethsemane right now are at the base of the Mount of Olives are over 2,000 years old. These gardens had an olive press in them, And there the disciples would be reminded of the pressing down and the pressure that would be put upon the olives to bring forth the oil that would sustain, that would anoint. He instructs the disciples to pray that they won't enter into temptation. That word enter is eskimi, eskimi. And it means to go into, to go deep into, to go through a door, to go through a threshold. You see, there are temptations, and the door of temptation is open. And he says, I am I want you to pray that you don't go through that door. Don't go through the door of temptation. Don't go in it. They'd be tempted to give up. They would be tempted to turn away from Jesus. They would be tempted to unbelief. And he's saying, Don't go through the door of unbelief. Don't go through the door of self preservation. Don't go through the door of resignation. Don't go through those doors. And he removes himself at stone's throw, 10 to 20 feet away, and he begins to pray. Now, Jesus is praying in deep agony in pain, and in a sorrow that the disciples have never, ever seen in Jesus before. So much so that he begins to sweat under the pressure of what he sees and what he's feeling. And his blood vessels begin to rupture. It's called hematistrosis. And it's a condition not unlike post-traumatic stress disorder, And he prays, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus is proving again that salvation is established by him alone and by his work. There is no other way. Three times, three times he prays. In Hebrew, you would repeat a word twice, to show that it meant completeness. In Isaiah, you have the scripture, he will, uh, Isaiah 26, three, he will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. But the word is he will keep him in peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. Showing that it's complete, it's perfect. But when you add a third time, it means there's no other way. This is it. Jesus prays three times. It was a prayer that the disciples had heard, would hear and would know he was repeating, even in their sleep. You know how you have those times where you're sleeping, but you hear everything going on around you? It's kind of like being in a self-induced coma where you can hear the talking, but you can't really talk. And the disciples were heavy with sleep. I believe the Spirit allowed them to be heavy with sleep because this hour was meant for Jesus alone. They were only to pray that they wouldn't enter into temptation. But they were not praying to drink the cup. That was not theirs to drink. The cup was for Jesus alone. If salvation is possible, if there is any other way, and you know, there are those right now that say, oh, I don't understand why God would allow his son to die. And Jesus is showing there is no other way. This is it. This is the only way that man can be saved. The only way would be for Jesus, the perfect man, our God, to be crucified for us. He alone can establish the terms of salvation to do it all for us. And even then, he's getting a visual of why it's him alone. Because the disciples who he chose, they can't even stay awake during this hour with him let alone drink the cup. And they're heavy with sleep. And God shows Jesus this cup. What is this cup? You know, we talk about death. And when men talk about death, we're talking about the separation of the spirit, our personality from our body. Our personality goes to heaven and our body becomes a statue and then begins to decompose. There's no more life to it when the Spirit leaves the body. But when the Bible speaks of death, it's the separation of man from God.
0: The new covenant initiates a new way of life for us. As we appropriate it and remember what Jesus has done for us, He changes our thinking. He gives us His heart and mind and we start to think and act like Him. We find joy in serving and loving one another. We realize what is truly important and seek to build the kingdom of God and pursue things that give God glory. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll continue our look at the new covenant as we continue our Jesus magnified study in the gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. We will come for you Lord, in wonder
1: wonder we will fall on
0: our knees and surrender. We surrender to you. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.